IABC Ottawa presents The Voice. The Voice offers expert insights and practical takeaways for people in the marketing communications industry. We're sharing the latest ideas and issues with sector professionals. What can we do to help you take your career to the next level? I am Tina Barton, and this is The Voice. Hi, my name is Neil Morrison, and I'm the founder of Podcraft Productions here in Ottawa. Let me tell you, when you're in radio, you don't go into it thinking, here we go, this is my vehicle, right? Like, people are getting desperate for these skills. (laughs) I really think radio is the future. And then, lo and behold, (laughs) podcasting comes along, and it looks like it is the future, and something your skills are very much. Neil Morrison knows a lot about podcasting. He's been a senior producer and an executive producer, too, for a number of CBC Radio current affairs programs, including The Current, As It Happens, and The House. But he gave up that security, and dare I say notoriety, to start his own business, and today he's with us to share what his time with Canada's national broadcaster and his own journey since has taught him about podcasting and especially about storytelling. Welcome to The Voice, Neil. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. And thanks to our podcast sponsor, Thornley Fellis, an integrated communications agency that's serving clients across North America. So, Neil, you've worked on some high-profile programs over, what was it, 15 years or so? About 15 years, yeah. What was one of your favorite stories in that time? And then we'll get into the why. Mm-hmm. When I worked at The Current, we used to do this thing where we'd bring in guest hosts. So they would be actors or they could be politicians, uh, but generally they were not broadcasters, right? And so you never really know, knew what you were going to get out of it. One guest that we had come on was Kim Campbell, the former prime minister. Her husband is a producer of Broadway musicals. So at the time, if, if people are familiar with The Current, CBC's The Current, that was a few years ago. But at that time we had um, a person who started the show and his name was The Voice. Oh. Oddly enough, not interesting. <laughs> And he really had a deep voice. I mean, it sounded like this, like, oh, this is the current. <laughs> I'm the... And I'm not joking. That And that was his real voice. He wasn't making that up, right? That was his... When you would talk, meet him in the hallway, he would say, hey, Neil, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> um, it was like, you know, there's a good radio voice, and then there's that voice, and that was a bit too much. So, anyways... I thought it would be really funny as just kind of a fun little element in an hour and a half show. I don't know why I thought of this. To have the two of them sing a song together. <laughs> um, because I thought the contrast in the voices would be too, uh, it'd just be hysterical. And so I got them to sing, you say, you say tomato, I say tomato. And Kim Campbell played on the piano, played this on the piano. Oh, wow. And uh, it should have taken about five minutes. And she, it took about 45 minutes because she just kept restarting it. She was a total perfectionist on this, which seemed like such a funny thing that she'd be perfectionist on this. And the end result is you had this very sort of um, uh, soprano voice saying, you say tomatoes? (laughs) And he would say, and I say tomatoes. (laughs) It was really funny. And I remember going in, I was producing this, and my executive producer at the time came in and he just sat down and he said, I've got to watch this. I've just <laughs> got to see this happen. Like this former prime minister uh, doing this. I really look back on that and feel like if we had done a compressed version of the process of getting that done, it would have been radio goal. Because in so many ways, the, the great thing that radio communicates is authenticity. I often say that radio in or audio it's kind of like a, it's a bullshit detector. It kind of, it can sense it. It can sense when you're just not telling the truth, when you're not being real, when you're trying to put something on. And, but on the flip side of that, it is so rewarding 
when someone is open or when they're honest or when they're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really looking back on that, I, so when I put it together, I put together a perfect little package. And I mean, that is fu- it's funny on its own. Just mm-hmm. its very own, the idea of Kim Campbell singing with the voice was a very funny thing. It would have been so much better if we just played a little bit of, of her correcting him, of her making mistakes, mm-hmm. of her trying to get it right. Because it was so revealing of a personality of someone who becomes the first female prime minister of the country. All of those little bits of authenticity would have been yeah. so revealing of who she is as a person. Right. And so it stands into my mind because it was one of those moments where I thought, I have the best job on the planet. Like, I can't believe I'm being paid to do this. But it also stands out of my mind because it reveals a good moment of radio or audio that could have been great. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had capitalized a little bit more or focused a little bit more on what makes great audio storytelling. Which it sounds like sometimes is not about the perfect moment, but instead the opposite, the vulnerability, uh, all the regular human interactions we have. Um, is that kind of what you're getting at there with that point? Yeah. You know, it's funny because in, in some ways it's um, it's an interesting time for communicators and, and podcasting comes at an interesting time for communicators because... As you can see in the U.S. election, any other place, people are people are growing. Audiences are growing very tired and very cynical, and actually very sophisticated in their response to carefully packaged messaging. Mm-hmm. They can see it. Mm-hmm. They don't trust it. They know it when it's coming down, and it immediately they immediately discard it. Right? They discount it. You, you come with a very highly polished yeah. message. The uh, the gut reaction of the audience to that is. It's too pretty. It's fake. It's... It doesn't. It's not. And you're not telling the truth. Yeah. Like, what are you hiding? Yeah. You're not telling the truth. And uh, as I said, that doesn't work very well on podcasting. But being real, being open, is really works on audio, and it creates a very powerful bond between you and the listener. Mm-hmm. Um, so it creates an interesting challenge, an opportunity. I think if you're a communicator, one, it commutes. Uh, the, the challenge is trying to convince people, um, whether it's heads of organizations, that. It's a really good idea. Don't worry if you make a little mistake. Don't worry if you go off topic. Don't worry if you um, laugh or, you know, or have a funny reaction to something. Um, that's what people want. Yeah. Um, but the truth is that's what they, that's what works in podcasting. And I actually think it, it was coming at a time when that's what audiences need. For them to connect with you and with what you're trying to communicate, it needs to sound real. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with you. And before we get into that, I just wanted to ask you uh, to give us a bit of a behind-the-scenes look at what it was like to produce audio shows, programs for CBC. Mm. It was a lot of fun. It was, at times, very, very stressful. When I worked at As It Happens, that was in a bit more of a controllable environment. The current was less so because you it was all recorded live. Um, it wasn't very little of it was pre-recorded. It was done first thing in the morning. That's good. I feel like everyone's at their best first thing in the morning. You've had a coffee. You think? Nothing's come up to like throw off your day yet. Well, look at that. Well, the problem is that sometimes they don't show up. Oh. (laughs) So I would, you know, I actually, when I left the current, um, I really felt a level of psychological relief, uh, just simply at that I would wake up in the morning and I wouldn't have that anxious question in my mind of did my guest show up like that was the you that was the only thing and when your guest showed up you're like oh thank god and do you did you have a backup guest in case guest number one failed you know it was difficult right sometimes you're booking people 
somewhere in the states or something like that and it would become the job of the people the morning crew mm-hmm. to scramble and do that um, but you just felt awful as the producer if that was something that happened right you would do everything possible to get them there mm. but yeah. sometimes that did happen of course and did you ever have to step up to the mic yourself Neil and just hold forth on the conversation no <laughs> thank god can you imagine no um, I showed up when it was my turn to go on and be the guest I would actually show up I think you know that my time at CBC the great thing about it was there was such a high level of professionalism and there was such a real it was really fun to be around people who were so focused so relentlessly focused on how do we tell a story better mm-hmm. I mean how do we think about it how can we communicate this a little bit better you know you would go through editing sessions and you would go through vet what we would call vetting sessions which is where you play your tape and it's and it's listened to by someone else and they and they could be brutal I mean you could have something that was completely rearranged and reorganized and your entire plan is is uh, fallen apart is taken apart and you just had to have a thick skin and you just had to be committed. Understand that you're completely committed to trying to communicate this to people. And I actually, at the end of the day at CBC, I really developed this as my mentality. And I found it actually worked for me. Is that um, I just became convinced, I convinced myself that nobody is interested in what you want to say. And for some reason, when I did that, it really motivated me to be like, make sure you tell the most interesting part of this, right? Yeah, and it really kept me in my mind, they're going to be bored. They're going to be bored. They're going to be bored. So just give them the most minimal amount of the boring stuff. Because right. they're going to be bored by that, right? So, but sometimes they need the boring stuff to be able to understand them. But just give them a little bit. And then move on to the, the interesting stuff. And make sure the story's real interesting. And make sure your, the, your guests are really interesting. And so as you know, before we uh, press record on this episode, we were chatting about openings and I always find openings hard, you know, where to start the story and Neil's been telling me the importance of a strong opening, have a good hook. Um, how do you think I'm going so far? It's here, been Neil? great. Yeah. It's been great. Yeah. It feels to me, um, I, so far, I feel like you're, uh, you're extracting my, uh, my journey so far. So no, it's been good. It's been good. How do you think? I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty good. Um, okay. I always have, you know, uh, as a as a as a podcast host, and of course we'll get into the, this episode. I always have so many questions in my head, and you know, there's the bit I know about you, but then there's all this other stuff you know about yourself, mm-hmm. and and you know what you what should be shared. And I think I have an idea, but I always think the art of podcasting well is um, draw asking the right questions to draw out the right story. And I guess that's where the guests always have a bit of a responsibility too, because mm-hmm. if I ask you a question that's not going to let you be uh, the least boring you can. Be, <laughs> you know, then the responsibility is a bit on you as well to direct the conversation. That's something that two-way exchange, I think, really shapes a good podcast. For sure, for sure. One of the things you can do around that is make sure the more your questions are open-ended questions, mm-hmm. um, the more that gives the guests the space to kind of take it where they want to go or to deliver what they want to deliver. And then if they're not, if they're just not delivering that great anecdote that you wanted them to deliver, then you can be a bit more pointed in Mm-hmm. With it. But uh, but initially, just uh, trying to create the, uh, a space through open-ended questions is a good style. I hear you. Well, so many people consider it as a podcast right for my organization. Should we be starting one? But the answer is uh, podcasting isn't for everyone. 
So I wanted to hear from you, the expert. What can podcasting be expected to reasonably accomplish and what can it do? Oh, it's a great question. A podcast is not an advertisement. Mm -hmm. It can't be a delivery vehicle just for uh, the newsletter of your uh, organization. It just doesn't work. under. The, it's not the right vehicle for it. It's not a viral video. You don't do three podcasts. You don't say, well, we're going to do three podcasts because, and then that'll just take off and it'll really announce us to the world. It's not the way it works. Um, they don't have that capacity to, to really, to be shared in the way that a viral video does. Mm -hmm. But what they have that no other medium has is the capacity to develop a relationship, a powerful relationship of trust with a key audience that you have. And that trust is that a really powerful bond that you can form. And other mediums don't have that, right? Um, other mediums don't have, aren't capable of developing that kind of intimate relationship with you, their audience. You don't even think uh, video when you can actually see the person and the people? I don't think so. Video, uh, this is my own bias. And, you know, you should bring someone on who does video and have them argue. Maybe we could argue. Uh, yeah. We could have a debate. I'd be happy to do that. I think there's something about the nature of the way you experience podcasts. You often people listen to them with headphones. Mm -hmm. So it's a very intimate space that's created right there. Video, there's always a bit of a gap. And in video, it's difficult and almost off-putting in some ways. It's almost difficult to deal with. Often there's a video and it's the interviewer interviewing the person. Mm -hmm. But you, as the viewer of that, feel like someone outside of that scene. Mm -hmm. You're an observer to the whole scene. You're not inside the whole scene. The difference with audio, and if someone is listening to this right now with headphones, is they're almost tricked into thinking they're a silent third partner to mm -hmm. the conversation. They feel like they're inside the room and they're with us. I see. Yeah, it's more intimate. It's, it's a more intimate space, I think. And something I, else occurred to me, too, about video is uh, sometimes the act of seeing the people... Uh, you know, we're such a visual species. I think it occupies like 70% of our brain. So I've read that when we're looking at something, all other senses are going down. And I know I find myself when I'm watching a video interview, I'm actually focusing less on what's being said because I'm distracted by looking at the interaction between them. And Yeah, I think you're 100% right. There's this podcast I listen, in, I listen to called uh, The Startup. It's... Um... The Starters. Sorry, not The Startup. The Starters. It's a basketball podcast. I love basketball. Hmm. Um... I didn't even realize that, that it was actually a, they have a YouTube show of the version. So at some point I got curious, as you would, if you're sort of an audio listener to what do they look like and what does this whole thing look like? I watched it and I didn't want to watch it on anymore because it completely changed my perception of these people mm -hmm. simply because mm -hmm. I couldn't, as you said, I couldn't get over the visual. I couldn't get over the visual of the set. I can get over the visual of the people who are involved. Um, but when it was just audio, I felt much closer to them and that I really enjoyed their personalities. I mean, in some ways it's like a book, uh, the difference between reading a book and when you read a, the, there's something about your own ownership of your relationship with characters when you're in the process of creating that, right? I, I think so. you've nailed it there. Yeah, with the with the podcast, reading the book, there's space for the third party to visualize what they want. And in, in that sense, they get to participate as well. That's right. I think what if organizations are thinking about podcasting, what they need to think about is, is there value? And I think there is tremendous value in creating an open and honest and authentic relationship of trust with our audience. 
that is not about us selling our services, but it's about us communicating with them and sharing in a real way the things that are of value to us as an organization. Um, Red Bull is an example of this, right? Yeah. Go to Red Bull's website. Mm -hmm. Try to find, go, go to their website and try to find what they sell. There's not a drink. You can't find a drink on their front page. In fact, it's very hard to find it. Uh, their whole thing is about extreme sports. Yeah. Right. So they're very much into content delivery, and, and that's what I think where people have to make the mental shift if they're moving to podcast is ultimately what's the content field that we are a big part of. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, less about the product or service that they already sell, and more about using the podcast to share the brand experience. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. So I think it's a good time to get into the whole question of who do we want to be listening to this podcast that mm. we're going to produce and you know communicators know it's important to define your target audience early on and then their interests shape your content direction and obviously it ties back to your objectives and I wanted to ask you about audience definition because offline you said something that stuck in my head we were chatting about the many types of people that could potentially be in your audience and you said yeah I mean it would be great if those people were listening but it would be a real problem if these particular people weren't or found it boring and I just thought that was such a pearl of wisdom and can and I liked the negative framing of that mm -hmm. so I was wondering if you could elaborate on that approach to defining your audience. You know that we used to do this would happen a lot at CBC and, and anytime people would ask you'd be asked but what's your show about right and people would always have grand umbrella terms about what their show is about um, that it meant ultimately the show was about everything and anything that came into their minds. And, and it was for everyone. It was for everyone and uh, that's what every show when they initially when you ask the question that's initially the answer you got back which is obviously not true and doesn't create a good show <laughs> so I would often say frame it more negatively and that got that was help more helpful I would say what type of stories will never make it on your show and then you can start narrowing it down and then people are more clear about it what kind of stories do you not do do not touch so quirks and quarks is a science show they don't spend a lot of time thinking oh we really should be doing something on trump though right there's a lot of stories about trump out there they're a science show they don't do that sort of thing the more important thing is again especially in audio you're zeroing in on a particular listener ideally your audience can grow outwards from that listener but you start with that one listener mm -hmm. and rather than think in grand schemes well I want to make sure this broad community is listening and I want to make sure and ideally I want everybody to enjoy this which is great and ideally if you do a great podcast it will grow and mm -hmm. it will expand but it won't unless you can clearly identify who is the one person if they are not interested in this if they listen to it like doesn't speak to me at all uh, that that's you look at that and think that's a serious problem mm -hmm. and I think that's uh, for me that's always been a helpful framing mechanism for it I like it do you ever take the same framing and apply it to questions um, I'm realizing you know I try and do open-ended questions and uh, often I'm kind of blue skying it with my guest mm -hmm. but maybe I should apply the negative frame and ask like what do you never want to hear in a podcast oh interesting yeah I think it's just the stuff that I was talking about before. I, I don't I don't want to hear messaging. Mm -hmm. It's a real turnoff. And the reason it's a turnoff is, picture this. If you went to a dinner party and you're sitting across from someone and they're talking and they were really messaging you, they're in sort of sloganeer mode. We've all been there at those dinner parties. Yeah, you'd be like, oh God, please, I need to change seats here. 
But let's say it was before the dinner party, there was sort of a cocktail reception type thing. And someone stood up and gave a speech. And in that speech, they delivered some messaging. You'd be more open to it there. Right. Time and place. Yeah. You'd be like, well, okay, you know, they're delivering a speech and the messaging makes sense. And in fact, I'd rather have a clearly messaged speech Mm -hmm. than some rambling stream of consciousness thing in that environment. But when I get to the dinner table, no, I want a little more openness and uh, someone being authentic and genuine. I often think of video or a lot of messaging as the speech that happens in the cocktail reception Mm -hmm. and audio is done best uh, is the dinner party. The best I can do on the fly with that negative framing. No, that's great. Is that is to is to just go back to what what audio does really well, I think. Yeah, which is sharing genuine thoughts and authentic moments. That's right. Yeah. Well, it's a nice tie in to what I wanted to talk to you about next, which is who are the best types of guests to have on a podcast or radio show? And one of the reasons I ask is I feel like people spend a lot of time thinking about the issue that they want to discuss and Mm -hmm. finding an expert who can speak to that issue. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that person is a great storyteller or guest. The truth is a great guest is someone who is able to do all the basic stuff, is able to communicate so uh, let me bring it back to my own experience Mm -hmm. i would be booking guests for various shows the guest that you hear on the air is not guest number one okay they're guest number often three guest number five sometimes seven phone calls that you've done Mm -hmm. looking for a person especially if it's science or anything field that's technical Mm -hmm. looking for someone who can communicate this effectively there's a lot of people who who feel that the minute they're communicating effect what i think is effectively which is using simple language um being straightforward um using stories if possible they think that somehow they've cheapened the content the problem is that you have a requirement for you have an obligation to your audience they want to hear certain thing they want to be engaged and what's engaging is someone who can communicate effectively using simple easy to understand language someone who is open someone who ideally someone who's capable or likes telling stories and is willing to tell a story my strong belief is that storytelling is the most effective way of communicating any form of information Mm-hmm. And the only way to know then if the person will be a good storyteller, as he said, is to do the screening in advance. That's right. Uh, that's really key. Like have a chat with the person you're thinking about bringing onto your show and make sure they actually can chat and talk about things well. But now you were saying something to me offline that at the CBC you would actually go back though and that you'd have a weekly group debrief. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming that you did have to listen to it with your team and then pull apart what wasn't done well on the podcast and what was so with that it would be a program and we would have a weekly review it was called a postmortem a weekly postmortem and the that was at the current actually where it was done most systematically and what we had were a set of pillars the way we looked at them is we had five things that our show is designed to accomplish and they have to be so clear And so non-abstract, I mean, so easy to check off that I could hand that list to you, to anybody outside. We had people come in who had no experience in radio, no experience in journalism, and that was the best. Mm -hmm. And we would say, here's our list of the things we're supposed to be doing. Go listen to our program. Did you hear these things, these five elements? And if they did, they would let us know. And if they didn't, we would take that very seriously. I feel like this is a fundamental flaw that happens in a lot of podcasts that I hear. The whole discussion is just purely on the level of ideas, and there's never a point where you reach for the human experience Mm. that connects that idea. Once you hear that human story, 
you're then open and interested in the abstract discussion because you've been you sort of grounded your something connected emotionally to yeah it, so absolutely well that's a really good example so when you were producing your programs uh, which would equally ap- apply to a podcast you have your mission statement so mm-hmm. my mission statement for this episode was neil shares what he's learned about storytelling mm-hmm. through his own podcasting and cbc experience that was my mission statement. That seems great. Uh, which I think we're, we're chipping away at here. I hope so. And then the pillars I understand to be a kind of checklist. So, That's right. And I really like what you said about humanizing it. Was it always the same five pillars you had for your shows? It was always the same five pillars. The point is, at the end of the day, did the audience hear a human on the show? If they did, they're more likely to engage in the program. If they didn't, they're less likely to engage in the program. And at the end of the day, that's the only thing that matters. And related to that, did you give any coaching to your guests, you know, before they came on to the onto the episode? Did you talk to them about the need to be human? Did, you mm. know, is this is this a good thing to do to prepare your guests? And did you do that? It's a great thing to do. I mean, guests, uh, unless, especially if they're not professionals and they need coaching, they need to know what you're looking for. So I would never give them that questions because then the problem is then they become too prepared. Mm-hmm. And then once they're too prepared it loses that kind of authentic feeling right you want them to be thinking on their feet to some extent but i would definitely tell them the focus so that they understood what we're trying to get out of this particular interview and how they fit in with that so let's go back to your own journey and what were the turning points that led you to leave the cbc and what made you to decide to focus on your own podcast production business i was really lucky and i was very lucky and very fortunate with my career at cbc and i had done a lot of things I'd run programs, I'd been in management, I'd done documentaries, but I was still I was still a good 15, 20 years away from thinking about retirement. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't see what was left for me in the next 15 years. I'm a person who likes change, I like new challenges, and it wasn't clear what the new challenge, the series of new challenges were for me still at CBC. In particular, CBC was going on a very difficult time. It was in a permanent state of contraction mm-hmm. so every year jobs were being lost opportunities were being cut it was becoming a bit of a negative environment and which was very sad creativity is at its core an optimistic act right and when you're in an environment that feels negative and feels like there's no hope and you're just always kind of looking around thinking oh who's next who's mm-hmm. next it's very difficult to be positive and creative I can totally relate to that yeah yeah at that point i thought you know what it's time i could be miserable I could just kind of sit it out or maybe I need to move on. Maybe it's time to try a new challenge. So I was really lucky that around the time that I was thinking of that, a great opportunity opened up at the Federation of Canadian Municipalities. As a journalist, I was a bit anxious about going into the field of communications. There's a real, when you're in that field, there's a bit of a divide and you worry about it, right? There was an organization that I felt like I could very comfortably, very easily promote their values and what they stand for and, and who they are and communicate it. I didn't feel like they would ever, I'd ever run into an ethical issue and certainly I never did. But as well, when I did that and stepped away and got into this area where of getting people to communicate with others that I started to really think about the, the potential for podcasts for organizations to connect with their core audiences. So my role at the FCM was develop strategies around media relations. 
So it was about finding ways of connecting with the media. One of the obvious ways is to try to communicate your story effectively. But the other thing that I started to really believe is uh, we live in an age now where I'm not sure the media are as essential as most organizations think they are. They're still a big part of it. Are they a necessary tool for you to effectively communicate with your audience? And I don't mean advertise to your audience and I don't mean message to your audience. You mean connect with? I mean connect. Be part of their lives. Be part of what they do and what they think about and what they enjoy. And there's avenues for that now. If you're the Federation of Canadian Municipalities, there's plenty of people who think very hard, as you know, about communities. Why keep knocking on the door of uh, the Global Mail and try to get them interested in this thing you're doing? Why not create a fascinating program that people tune into and you connect a direct relationship with your audience that you're trying to reach? Because ultimately you're just using the media to get to your audience. Mm -hmm. Well, you can get to your audience now. There are ways of getting to your audience. Social media is obviously one of them, but I truly believe one of the great untapped vehicles for connecting with an audience and sort of going around uh, that media is podcasting. And is that what you did at the Federation of Canadian Municipalities? That was where I realized that I think this is something I would like to do full time. So if I was to do it there, it would have been kind of a side project that I did. Right. Um, but I really believed in the potential for it. And I really, to be honest, felt like I, uh, there aren't a lot of people with the amount of radio experience that I have and the radio programming experience I have. So it sort of felt like there was an, an opening mm -hmm. for someone with my skill set. And let me tell you, when you're in radio, uh, you don't go into it thinking, here we go, this is my vehicle, right? Like, people are going to be desperate for these skills. <laughs> I really think radio is the future. And then lo and behold, <laughs> podcasting comes <laughs> along and it looks like it is the future and suddenly your skills are very much in demand. So um, it was a real opportunity for me to, to narrow myself and to sort of pursue an area that directly lines up with my experience and my skills and my, and my great passion. And an area where I think you see a lot of need for professionalism. Yes. The other thing I was noticing is that my, my sense is that podcasts are in a period of transition now. I think there always will be a room and space for strictly amateur podcasts. And I think it's a great way to communicate. But for an organization that's thinking of getting into the podcasting space, I do think there's a shift that's occurring. Audience for podcasts are growing and they're going exponentially, 25% a year. And as they grow increasingly sophisticated, they're going to have certain expectations. And if you don't meet those expectations, that's going to reflect on your brand. And I feel like for organizations, especially large organizations, they need to make sure the podcast, the quality of it, uh, reflects well on their brand. And I felt like that's something that I could bring to the field was uh, just kind of the experience of creating things that are quality. And is it the storytelling piece that we've been discussing that you're really alluding to there? The storytelling is a big part of it. If you go and look at iTunes, the top podcasts, about six or seven of them are run by former NPR producers. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them have gone on and done their own private podcasts now, but they're former NPR producers. And it's because they're all using the exact same techniques. Uh, there's techniques to good writing, there's techniques to good storytelling, and there's techniques to good storytelling in an audio format. Mm -hmm. I always feel that the NPR folks though have such a huge leg up on the rest of us because they come with this massive built-in audience. No, you're absolutely right. Like they have, they have such a marketing heads up. So tell us what's next for Neil Morrison. Aha! Ideally, what I would like to do is to have 
Uh, I love consulting and I love working with people and I love working with organizations to help them to build their podcasts. Um, that's a lot of fun. I love doing storytelling workshops, so that's a lot of fun. And those will always be part of the mix. Uh, the goal that I'm building for myself is to try to build up three or four podcast series for organizations, ongoing series um, that my company produces for them. I think the dream would be that I, I operate as an executive producer of a bunch of programs um, and I bring people on to help produce the actual programs themselves. Excellent. So how can people check out your company and get in touch with you? Yeah, you can go to podcraftproductions.com. That's my website. Got this little bit about me and it's got my contact info and email me. I'll get back, I promise, very quickly. Well, thanks, Neil. It's really been a, a great pleasure having you on the show today. Yeah, thank you. And I'm encouraged by you alluding to the fact that you're going to help us promote this episode by spreading it with all your CBC That's networks. Right, exactly. <laughs> all your friends in radio and promotion. Yeah, exactly. No, I really appreciate you bringing me on. Well, it's been a really interesting chat and I, I, it's given me a lot to think about. Uh, having a chat, having that pre-interview with Neil before we sat down and recorded this episode, that first chat with Neil about how I should be telling a story and bringing it out of my guests made me ask a completely different arc of questioning. So I have really benefited myself from this discussion. It's been fun. It's been fun. <laughs> it has been a lot of fun. Thanks very much. Thank you. And thanks to everyone who tuned in today. The Voice is produced here in Ottawa, Canada, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, and I encourage you to leave us a rating. Make sure to visit ottawa.iabc.com for more about the show and related resources. IABC Ottawa is the voice of Ottawa's marketing and communications industry, and I'm your host, Tina Barton. You can connect with me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Tina M. Barton, and um, I hope you'll come back and listen to us again next time.